Kia ora, time for our series on New Zealand sporting history. Uh, an opportunity each Thursday to remember a particular time in our history when the whole of the nation was united behind one team or one person or one event. And today, well, to be honest, I'm surprised it's taken this long because it's a real favourite of mine. Uh, Joseph Romanus is in our Wellington studio. He's an award-winning sports journalist and commentator. He's the author of numerous New Zealand sports books. He's written about everything from tennis player Chris Lewis to cricketer Martin Crow, And he's had a hand in a fair few local sports autobiographies too. We reckon about 50 books that Joseph has either written or co-written or edited or collaborated on, which is actually a pretty staggering sporting achievement in itself. Welcome to the show, Joseph Romanos. Thanks, Jesse. Do you tend to go by Joseph or Joe? Joseph. If someone rang my home when I was a boy and asked for Joe, my father would hang up on them. <laughs> Great. I'm so excited to talk about this day in 1983. Um, can you take us back there? Yes. Yes, I can. Um, we'd done very well to make the World Series finals. That's the one-day finals it's all it's all um, pretty mundane now, but back then that was a very big thing. One day cricket, international one day cricket was fairly new. It was very soon after the Packer Revolution, and um, the three teams in that in that tournament were Australia, England, and New Zealand. And we eliminated England, so the final was between Australia and New Zealand. It was a best of three final, so you have yeah, to win and- two. And can I jump in and say there was nothing better to watch on TV than those World Series, the Tri-Series. It was so exciting over the New Zealand summer, usually played in prime time here in New Zealand, and um, and it was tended to be exciting every year. Well, Jesse, the thing is, I hope it was exciting because we only had two TV channels back then. <laughs> no Sky, no TV3, yeah. no internet, no cable. So if it wasn't good, it was on TV all day. It, 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 it got a good audience. <laughs> Where were you that week? I was in Australia, yeah. I, I was sent over by the Dominion to cover the finals, and um, first one was in Sydney, and we got a good thrashing. So mm. we all went to Melbourne, hopeful of doing better. I, I I had a bad omen going back after the practice at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I was in the car with the captain, Jeff Howarth, and Glenn Turner and Martin Sned, and, and Turner turned to Howarth and said, you know Paddles has gone home. He'd announced on radio that he was injured and had gone home, and Howarth knew nothing about it. The selectors, in the meantime, had called in Richard Webb, uh, younger brother of former fast bowler Murray Webb, to replace him. So I thought, uh uh-uh, this is a bit of disarray to start with. Yeah. And that's how it turned out, actually. Gosh, that's pretty crazy to hear that Hadley had gone sort of second-hand. Yeah, yeah, it was Jeff amazing. Jeff Howarth was the captain, was he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, they he had a tough time, as I recall, as a cricket fan. He never, particularly as captain, he never scored many runs, did he? Uh, well, he scored a lot of uh, earlier on. He got uh, he, yeah, his, his performance dwindled. Yeah, he, had, he did pretty well in county cricket, as I recall. But um, but yeah, in those early eighties, he sort of struggled, struggled to win, and struggled to score many runs. Okay, um, and then did you? I mean, did you report that? By the way, that conversation you'd overheard. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, the game was very soon. You've got to think back. This is this is you know forty years ago. Australia scored three hundred and two for eight, and that is like <laughs> scoring four hundred and fifty now. Yeah. I mean, in those days, two hundred and forty was a very respectable score. Yeah. And the funniest thing was their opener was a, a chap named Steve Smith, 
which same name as the star Australian batsman now. But, yeah, that's funny. I yeah. don't remember that. He scored 117, and the other opener, Graham Wood, scored 91. Gosh. And so the game was virtually over, and they still had Kim Hughes and Border and David Hooks and Greg Chappell to come. So it was, it was a grim, it was a grim half time for us. They scored 302 for eight, and we're not going to score that. That would have been one of the few times in the 80s that any team got over 300. I'd never heard of it, actually, no. to be honest. It was just phenomenal. Everyone was gobsmacked that they'd made 300. And they had a bowling attack of, of Lawson, Rodney Hogg, Dennis Lilly. I mean, it was it was a good attack, and we weren't <laughs> going to make that sort of a score. Yeah. Um, you were sitting next to a certain Alan McGlivray. I was. Um, what happened was the New Zealand innings started so poorly. I mean, we were, what were we, six down for 40 odd. 40 odd. Six yeah. for 44. So I said to McGilvray, I wanted to do an interview with him. He was a doyen of commentators. He'd been going since the 30s, and I wanted to do an interview with him and do a feature article on him. And so I asked him if we could go out, step outside into, you know, where the spectators were sitting and have a chat. And he said, sure. And we. We, we we stepped out outside the commentary box as Lance Cairns, the number eight New Zealand batsman, went into bat. But he started, I mean, it was incredible. He hit six sixes. He hit his, a 50 in 21 balls. And he was hitting these sixes like he was just just <laughs> eating an ice cream cone. He hit Dennis <laughs> Lilly for a six over square leg one-handed. <sighs> he only hit one four. Everything was going over the boundary. And it was a long boundary in those days. Yeah. So uh, after about three sixes, the, the the Australian bowlers were throwing the ball back to the captain saying, no, give it to someone else. Gosh. The crowd was going crazy. I've never heard such noise. I, I guess they were looking for some excitement because the game itself was dead and buried. And Ken's looked so unperturbed the whole time. He was just very casual about it. So much screaming that, that in the end, McGilvery and I looked at each other. We had to hand signal to each other, even though we were sitting, you know, right next to each other. And we decided we would do the rest of the interview later because we could not hear each other at all. It was it was incredibly loud, especially when uh, Cairns hit Lily for these two sixes. He hit Lily. Everyone was laughing, even the Australian fieldsman. <laughs> was Lance Cairns a big name in 1983? He was. No, he was just another player in the team, like, like say, Chatfield or Martin Sneddon or John Morrison. But after that innings, which, as you said earlier, I mean, it's watched live on TV by three-quarters of the people watching TV in New Zealand, he became an absolute superstar, a, a sort of a a real character of New Zealand sport. His bat, his bat was, do you remember it? It was called Excalibur. Um and everyone, all the young kids had to have an Excalibur bat after that. So that was great marketing for, for John Guy, the former New Zealand player who, who was selling it. And um, he got immediately, he got asked to write a book. So a book came out a few months later. Gosh. They turned up in New Zealand for the second half of the summer there, and he was just a folk hero. So he became, after that, he became one of the real heroes of New Zealand sport, uh, Lance Kens. Had hit, like, because it was quite a big deal to see a six back in those days, hey? Yes, I know. I mean, the currency's devalued a bit these days, yeah. Jesse. But, I mean, six sixes in an innings was was the most sixes ever in a one-dayer, I think. Up was it? Then. Yeah, it was. And, and honestly, the Melbourne cricket ground boundaries back then were very big. And he was, and he was just taking no effort whatsoever <laughs> to whack these great bowlers all around the place for six. It was... 
people were giggling. They were laughing so much. It was it was very funny. Had he, had he hit? Was he known as a big hitter before that day? Yeah. Yeah, he'd scored 100 for Central Districts and mastered it in a Plunkett Shield match in Did about he? two minutes. He, he, he could hit all right, but, but the world didn't know that. It's, yeah. The New Zealanders knew it. Huh. <clears throat> I, um, I finished my interview with McGillray later, and I came back and wrote a feature article for the Dominion. The reason I wanted to interview him was I really wanted to get an interview with Don Bradman. That had been my aim for, for several years. When I lived in Brisbane, I wrote to him, He's in Adelaide and said, hey, sort of along the lines of, good news, I'm coming to Adelaide. We could meet for a coffee and I could do an interview. And he wrote back and said, no, no, that won't be happening. He was very nice, but he let me down gently. But he said he gets, he got 70 interview requests a week and he declined them all. So I thought, well, I'll do an interview on McGilvray. He's a very good friend of Bradman's and it'll be a great story and I'll make sure it is. And then I'll send it to him. Then you'll be eager for me to interview him. So I wrote the feature on um, McGilvray and sent it to Bradman, and he wrote back and said, good story, and you, no, you still can't interview me. <laughs> so, so I didn't get anywhere there. <laughs> did that story change over the years? Did Lance Kens tell a slightly different version of that story? Yes, he did. I, so I, I wrote a story sometime afterwards saying, you know, telling the story about how we couldn't hear each other, McGilvray and I, and then I noticed Stuff ran a feature on Lance Kens last year or the year before and he said, oh, they were asking about the innings, and he said, oh, it was amazing. There was, it was so noisy. Mind you, I have to say, Jesse, I don't know how he would have known it was noisy because he was deaf. <laughs> you know, he really couldn't hear much at all. He'd worked in a freezing works, and it had really affected his hearing. Even in, in 83. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was batting with Warren Lees, and we, we asked him in the dressing room afterwards, we said, what did Lees say to you when you had that conference in the middle? He said, I don't know. I never know. I just nod the head and walk oh, back. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so he was telling the story about this innings, and, he, and as I read the story, it said, this is Ken's telling it, he said it was so loud that Alan McGilvray was talking to Don Bradman and they couldn't hear each other in the stands. <laughs> That's how the human brain works, though, right? You hear a story, and then slowly over time it becomes your story, and then slowly the facts sort of change a little bit. Not necessarily malicious. Um, someone messaged me, by the way, and they said, pleased to hear you'll be revisiting Lance Cairns' wonderful day. He turned 74 years old two days ago. Wow, God, you think of these people as ageless, don't no, you? No, no, you do. Uh, this person was at primary school with him, lovely kid, very smart, and uh, very good at sport, even at 12 years old. He's a very nice guy. He was always a nice person to deal with if you were in the media. Um, let's just take a moment to talk about that back, because you're right, it did become a sort of a... Uh, a, a cultural icon in my house we probably didn't have the means to buy the bat so we actually soared off the corners the shoulders of, of the shoulders of the bat because it was a shoulderless bat right yeah it was very unusual for the time and and you know it's nothing now because every bat is really thick isn't it but in those days it was very thick because he could he could handle he was a big guy and he could lift it easily but it was the thickness and the fact that it had no shoulders that really made it stand out. But I'll tell you what, after he hit those six sixes, everybody needed to have one. Yeah. And Alan, who's listening, he says, um, after that innings, junior cricket exploded at Cornwall Park. We had 40 juniors enrolled, and the next season we had 160. You would believe that, wouldn't you? I think that was replicated all around New Zealand. It's, it, you can't, it's hard to imagine the impact that had on... There's two events that have had a big impact on New Zealand cricket in my lifetime. Huh. One was the underarm, yeah. and one was this. And both times they led to a huge uplift in the interest in cricket in New Zealand. 
certainly certainly counts to my interest in cricket. Although I, I mentioned earlier, I, I'd given up on the team and gone down to the park, and it wasn't. Got, I got home twenty minutes later, and it was all over. My uh, older brother took uh, great uh, delight in telling me that I'd missed the greatest moment in New Zealand cricketing history. We well, didn't you had win to it. be you had to be pretty keen to stick with New Zealand when they were yeah. six for forty four. <laughs> We didn't win that game, though, eh? No, we lost by 149 runs, which mm. you know is like losing by 300 runs today. Yeah, and and you know I think a lot of people forget that because the story's better if he hit six sixes and saved the day for New Zealand. Well, but it, honestly, no one was talking about the result. I suppose why would we? But it, it, everyone was cel- even the Aussies. They were celebrating these, this innings. This they'd never seen anything like it. It sounds like nothing now because so many people have hit sixes. Have to say the bats are bigger and the boundaries are in a long way. But it was it was so phenomenal for those times. Also, I think, you know, you, you haven't given us much info on the bowling attack, Joseph, because that's a big part of the story, I think. They were feared. Well, Dennis Lilly wasn't bad, and Rodney Hogg was a great fast bowler. Jeff Lawson was a great bowler. Then they brought on this very tight, medium pacer, Ken McClay, and he went for two sixes and one over, and he threw the ball back to, <laughs> he threw the ball back to his <laughs> captain, Kim Hughes, and said, you find someone else to bowl. I thought maybe Thompson. Was Thompson one of the bowlers? No, he wasn't no. in that team. Okay, okay. But Lily, yeah. Yeah, Lily, Lawson and Hogg. That's a great three bowlers. You wouldn't mind them now. Okay. And then he came back to New Zealand. So we lost that World Series Cup back in the day. I don't think they'd do a two out of three series now where they didn't play the third game, would they? It'd be too much of a financial risk. But back in those days, Aussie won two, so they didn't play a third one. It was a simpler time, Jesse. Yeah, it was, yeah. No, but it honestly was. Every, there was there were, everyone thought they were being really commercial by having one-day cricket back then, but there's a lot more ways of making money out of it now than there were back then. Mm. So they came back to New Zealand, and um, oh, sorry, just before we leave the MCG, someone says, you might have mentioned this, someone says, wasn't he hitting those sixes with one hand off the bat? I definitely remember seeing that. He hit Lily over square leg with one hand, just his left hand on the bat, and he put him he put him fifteen rows back into the stands. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. Even uh, Lily was laughing. So you saw it on the day? Did you go back and listen to the commentary because that's part of the entertainment? Oh, I've seen that on TV many times. That's that is one of the great pieces of TV in, for New Zealand, isn't it? <laughs> and the spectators at Long On are now an endangered species. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what. What, who said that? Uh, uh, Tony Gregg, maybe? Frank Tyson, oh, I think. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so back to New Zealand, and, and we started going along to games, right? The, uh, New Zealanders in their drive. I mean, I'm sure it was popular already, uh, cricket in New Zealand, one-day cricket. But um, you would go along, and you'd wait for the number eight batsman to come out. He was very popular. I mean, you made sure you were at the ground when he went into bat. If you were going to the cricket, you, you made sure... It, you know, you were there when he batted because he might go out quickly. He wasn't a great bat, but if he stayed in a while, it was going to be a lot of fun watching it. <laughs> he, I watched him one day at Wanganui at Cook's Gardens, and he turned Cook's Gardens into a postage stamp. He was he was hitting everything, really, not just over the boundary, but out of the ground. I seem to remember often seeing Lance Cairns batting without a helmet. Yes, he even batted without a helmet uh, in tests long after helmets came in he got conked on the head i think in 1985 against pakistan and that was that was the match that had that dramatic we won he was the number 10 batsman and, and he was hit on the head so that that left the number 11 batsman chatfield to bat with jeremy coney and they still needed 50 to win and they got them 
But he, he was unconscious in the changing room. He was really in a bad way. Someone's asked if we can do a Ewan Chatfield special, by the way. It wasn't, it, wasn't yeah. a, it wasn't a career of highlights, but that was sort of the point, right? He was... Oh, I, mean, he, that, he had his I, moments. I think that would have been the highest point of his whole career. Well, <laughs> no, I, I do. I mean, yeah. you know, bowlers can bowl, but when they do something with the bat, that's even more special, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sure I remember that one too, that final... I, I, I don't remember the Cairns um, being hit, but I remember it being Coney and Chatfield. Um, and I, I'm sure I remember seeing Chatfield charge someone once. I, didn't didn't see, but I don't think I saw that because they had all the fast bowlers bowling at him, bowling bounces to him because they knew that he'd be on the head once before and nearly died. So oh, him too, they want yeah. you know he was he wasn't keen to face fast bowling, but God, he was gutsy. Mm. He made a good hero, Lance Cairns. Lance Cairns was a great hero. He was like a schoolboy hero. Yeah, he was terrific. Big he, guy. Big guy came in and bowled off the wrong foot quite muscular and then this <laughs> incredible hitting <laughs> oh yeah we better mention the bowling tell me about the bowling style well he'd never he did not know he thought he just looked like everyone else when he <laughs> bowled but he bowled off his he, he bowled <laughs> off his right foot so he was very square on to the to the batsman and therefore he bowled these great big in swingers <sighs> yeah and that's what happens when you're very square on that the ball swings in and um but he didn't know that until he saw himself on tv Long after he made his test debut, he he, he didn't even recognise himself. It's nothing like he imagined he looked like when he bowled. Yeah. Of course, father of Chris Cairns. True. Wonder how old Chris would have been in 1983. Well, he was, he was in 89, he was 19, so I suppose he was about 11 or 12. So suddenly his dad is the hero of the nation. Yeah, he probably thought I wouldn't mind a piece of that. <laughs> and did have his own um, big moments. Probably the the Sharjah tournament might be the um, what would that have been? Chris Cairns' biggest day. That was a big day for him. But he was a really good bowler. He had a lot of good days as a bowler. Yeah, he he had some great days. Yeah, that's probably a conversation for another time. So, what happened with the rest of Lance Cairns' career then? Well, once he got hit on the head, that was virtually the end of him, actually. I mean, he was coming to the end anyhow, because he'd been going in the test team since the early 70s. Had he? Okay. Yeah. He, for a long time, he vied with Ewan Chatfield for the position of third seamer. And sometimes the selectors picked no spinner, and they picked Lance Kens as, like, the, in quote marks, spinner, because he bowled these big in-swingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then he, he, he really he played... Sorry, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I something heard some noise there. Um, yeah, I think he retired soon afterwards. That had quite an effect on him, that hit on the head. Actually, it, yeah. it wasn't to be shrugged off lightly. Oh, thank you for remembering those days. That was really cool. Lance Cairns and his iconic sixes. Can we take a few minutes to talk about the current cricket World Cup? Yeah, I'd like to just mention a couple of things, if that's okay. Yeah, what's your analysis so far? Well, I think we're going quite well. I'm quite pleased with how we're going. We're at the top of the table. I hope we are still there in seven games' time. I just wanted to say I was very interested to see Ravindra bat the other day when he made the um, the unbeaten century, and it reminded me of a of a comment that Martin Crow made to me when Crow wrote that book, Roared, not long before he died. I, I published it, and we were going around the country, you know, doing publicity. And when he got to Wellington, he went out to the hut wreck and did a coaching session. And one of the boys he coached, or coached, he looked at that day was Ravindra, who was about 13 years old. And they brought him in from Hibs out in Upper Hut to bat. Yeah. His father was very proud of him. 
And Martin watched him for a while and he said a few things to him. And on the way home in the car, he said to me, that kid is a can't-miss cricketer. He will be a test star. And I thought, and so I remember that when I was watching him bat the other day. That is so cool. That is so cool. What's the format of the Cricket World Cup? Is it round robin? Yes, there's they've got ten teams in it playing the other nine, yeah. And so, and then we end with semi-finals. I suppose they go into semis, then a final, then like, yeah. that actually happened when the World Cup was here in 92, that was, it was same sort of thing, into a semi, then a final. Yeah, yeah Pakistan for our final game, and then Pakistan again in the semis, and then yes. we're out. Mm. We, don't, we don't have good memories of that. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Do you have a favourite sport to cover, Joseph? Not really. I mean, lots of good sports, aren't they? As long as it's played well, eh? And also you want it to be competitive. I'm not very keen on the All Blacks versus Namibia or something. I don't I don't find that really holds me much. But if it's competitive, it's great. Yeah. Um, well, as long as we've got you here, what do you make of the Rugby World Cup and, and how do you think it's going to go against Ireland on Saturday, Sunday well, morning? I've been talking to various rugby friends of mine about Who's the favourite for that game? I, I reckon it's 45-55 in favour of Ireland. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you talk to these New Zealand rugby fans who say it's 70-30 for the All Blacks because they're still the All Blacks, and maybe they're right. Yeah. Um, mind you, a close one is probably pretty good for the game, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we all want New Zealand to win if we're New Zealanders, but if you looked at it at a much broader contest, it's a huge result of Ireland win, isn't it? And go into the semis having pushed out the All Blacks, that's a probably a great thing for rugby worldwide not that we want that we talked to Keith Quinn about rugby professionalism last week and and the impact it's had on the game what's your view um what have been the positives and negatives of professionalism on the rugby um sport of rugby well uh, in terms of professionalism they they're miles better they're fitter and bigger and stronger and so on so I think they're far, far better players, way less mistakes, handling errors and things like that. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of the All Blacks, I think I think they're very remote from New Zealanders now. You used to see All Blacks down at the fish and chip shop and you could go up to them any time and have a chat to them and if you were a journalist, you'd just ring them up and they'd have a chat. And it's, it's very different now. They're, I find they're quite removed from New Zealand society, really. That's sad. What about the enjoyability of watching the game? Oh, no, I think a good game's a good game. Do you? In fact, in the professional era, the scores are a lot higher, aren't they? There's more tries. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, instead of a grim 3-0 win that you go home happy you won, but there wasn't much going on, you know, it might be 38-24 and there's been a lot of action. Yeah, it's funny looking at all those um, old... I, I had a um, family member who had some of those old rugby almanacs and you go through the old games and the scores would be like... 3 1. That would be a good score for rugby. (laughs) Well, back in the day, I think it was possible. That is going back a fair way. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't even at school in those days. (laughs) Good stuff. Thanks for coming in. I miss those, um, the beige outfits too, by the way, from 1983. Oh, yes. Well, that's part of when you watch it now, isn't it? It's fantastic, you know, throwback in time. Great. Hey, thanks so much, Joseph. Okay. Joseph Romanus on a few topics there, but uh, mostly the six sixes of Lance Cairns in 1983.